I tell you, I went round and round the mulberry bush about this morning, and um, I, uh, it's really funny, because uh, the more I went round and round the mulberry bush, the bush, the funnier it got, <laughs> because it's the topic that was so funny, because I told Dave when I found out about the broadcast thing, I thought, really, really good, it's, this is really good, and uh, so he assumed I knew what I was going to do. Did you pretty much assume I knew what I was going to do then? And then um, I could have known what I was going to do had I not been arguing. Because <laughs> I'd been arguing all week long. Well, I actually I'd been arguing for about three weeks because I knew it had been coming up. You know, we know Keith's calendar and schedule for weeks and weeks usually ahead of time, you know, and so... Uh, a lot of times the Lord will drop something in your heart ahead of time. So a lot of times you don't know ahead of time, you know. But on this particular thing, I had kind of known it because the direction Keith had been going, you know. And so you kind of a lot of times will get something on your heart ahead of time and you'll kind of ponder it around and look at things here and there and not caught off guard a lot of times about what you're supposed to do. But why do I always have to spill my guts and y'all never have to come up here and spill your guts? <laughs> How is that fair? Maybe I should point y'all out. Okay, you come spill your guts for a while, and then you can come spill your guts. How is that always fair? But um, I don't know. I'm just that way. You know, if it works for me, I think it'll work for somebody else. And so um, I'm, I guess I've learned I like to help people, you know. And, and that was always when Keith would tell me when he was teaching and stuff, and we had had so many problems in our marriage and stuff. And uh, he'd say, can I tell this? And I'd say, if it'll help somebody. And he'd tell stories about me. And I'd think, oh, Lord. <laughs> you know, and I'd have to sit there and just grin. <laughs> you know. But if it would help somebody. And then when I'd get so nervous about getting up and speaking and stuff, he'd say, well, just think about it. Don't think about them being a crowd. Think about the fact of helping somebody. You really want to help somebody. So all week long, I'm telling you what, uh, no, three weeks. We've been reading and reading, you know, the Old Testament and reading, and Keith's been teaching about church growth, right? And so I'm pondering these things back and forth. And I had just made up my mind, this Sunday I am going to teach about something fun and happy, and I'd argue with God. I'm going to even do testimonies. Keith's been teaching a lot, right? I mean, it's, we've had a lot of good teaching lately, so I'm going to do something fun today. I'm telling you what, it's going to be fun. I'll get the kids to come in here, or we'll have the crowd to do something, or we'll just have a fun day. And I argued. And I argued, and I argued, and I argued, and I argued, and I rebelled. I'm telling you, it, we went round and round and round the mulberry bush. And round and round and round. And I couldn't get it, and I couldn't get it. And I kept going and late yesterday, and I called Dave. I said, Dave, would you, where are you? Because I thought he was going to be at his new house, and I was going to send him over here to get me a tape. And before I could hang up the phone, he called and said, you didn't leave a message. What do you need? You know, and I said, never mind. I changed again. I mean, that's where I was going. I was doing that over and over again. And I would never look at what I was supposed to look at, you know. And then finally I decided I better look at what I'm supposed to look at. So I did. So y'all ready? Interesting, huh? Am I ready? Might as well be. Might as well be. Well, let's look at it anyway. You know, I 
enjoyed when I went to Rama. I had been raised um, in a denomination where we didn't really study the Bible a lot. You know, so I didn't know all the Bible stories, you know, and I knew very, very little about the Old Testament. I mean, I knew zero, really, about the Old Testament. And so uh, I really, really enjoyed, um, we had a teacher called Cooper Beatty, and we used to call him Machine Gun Beatty, you know. He was probably, how old was he, Nance? You know, when, I, when we went. Yeah, he, you know, his 70s, when I went to school, you know, and he's in his 80s now, and he still teaches, you know. And he talks faster than I do. And I, I mean, he really talks fast. That's why they called him Machine Gun Beatty. And he knows his Old Testament, you know. And uh, he taught the Old Testament, and I just sat there, and my mouth would just hang open, you know. I just enjoyed it so much, you know, some of the classes that he taught and stuff. And uh, I have so, so, so enjoyed reading the Old Testament, you know. How many of you in here, now, now listen to me carefully before I ask you this question. You remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira, right? They were in church and they lied to the Holy Ghost, right? And what happened to them? Okay. How many of you in here have been reading your Bible? All right, good. Then it'll go real smoothly this morning. We won't have any troubles. God must have known you were reading, all right? So I've really, really, really been enjoying reading my Old Testament, you know, because you get so much. No other place will you know what God wants. No other place will you know what God wants. You can think what God wants, but no other place will you know what God wants. So when we were at Ramah, um, we learned, Brother Hagen taught us, you know, one of our classes. And so in youth, we had gotten to teaching a little bit about some of the things that Brother Hagen taught us about um, what, who man is. And so this kind of went along with this, and the Lord has directed me kind of in this direction. So hang with me, and we'll get to all of it together. We have been talking about in youth just a little bit, man being... And where is the youth? They begged me to let them sit all over here. Now there's 12 of them sitting over here. Where's the rest of them? Yeah, I think a lot of them are teaching. Look, look, what happened to y'all? Chicken. Chicken. Yeah. What did Keith say Friday night? No, they're not chicken. They're good. They're the best. Um, man is a threefold being. Spirit, soul, and body. And we've been teaching this in the youth. And um, the body deals with the physical realm. The spirit deals with the spiritual realm. And the soul deals with the mental realm. Right? Not complicated, okay? It, it talks about your body dealing with the things that you do in the physical things you do. We get into all kinds of stuff in there. We're still on that part, your body dealing with the things you do in the physical realm, like sex and drinking and, you know, with youth, you can go a long ways with that one, you know. And then the spiritual, and then the soul, the mind, the emotions, and all those things, okay? But, so we're, we're dealing with those things. So I want us to get into a little bit, and then we'll get into what we've been talking about in the Old Testament, how these two kind of go together. 
Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And it's in the King James, guys. Let's put it up there. The part of a man that knows God is what? His spirit. Not complicated. Okay? This is not complicated this morning. That'll be the most fun part about this morning is it's not complicated. Okay? Romans 12.1. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that... You present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, this is the next part that I want you to get. And be not conformed to this world. Now, that's New Testament, right? And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that which is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now the Amplified says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, and beg of you. Now this, is, this is just touches my heart when I read this. In view of all the mercies of God, to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy and devoted, consecrated and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable and rational and intelligent service and spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world's or this age. Okay, don't be conformed to this world or this age. Now, the Living Bible, and I think we only have New Living back there. I wish we had The Living so you could see this. So listen carefully to it. It says, so dear brothers, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living sacrifice, holy the kind he can accept. When you think of what he's done for you, is it too much to ask? Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. But be new and a different person with a freshness and a newness in all that you do and think. Then you will be ready to learn from your own experience how his ways will really satisfy you. Isn't that good? I thought it was really good. So in, in looking at that, the thing is, where's Matt Hamblin? On the camera. Somebody take his place. I got to get him to tell this. He, he'll tell it. Somebody find another camera operator for me. So he can be ready to come down here and tell this. He won't like me, but he'll, look, he'll get over it. <laughs> we were talking in youth, and we were talking about the difference. This is something that Brother Hagen told us. Get him a microphone there. We were talking about the difference between 
what is real faith? And Brother Hagen taught us real faith was acting on God's word because it is true. Simple enough, right? You act on God's word because you know it's true. Is that complicated? You act on it because you know it's true. Any con- anybody confused about that? You act on the word because you know it's true. You get saved because you know there's a heaven, there's a hell. You act on it because you know it's true. Okay? What is mental assent? Let me tell you what mental assent is. Come on, Matt. Tell us what mental assent is. This is really, really good. It'll help you to understand it. This is from my own experience, but mental assent is where, you know, you say you believe something, but you don't act on it. And so an example that I gave was you say, you know, oh, honor your father and mother, obey them, you know, submit to them. And you're like, yeah, I believe that. But when it comes down to it, you're like, you're rebelling. You're not, you're not actually doing it. Any kids could apply that in their lives, you think? This applies to youth. You understand how that works. They're very good, Matt. Thank you. It's, yeah. Now, that works for kids, right? But what about for adults? It, it's like when a child knows that the Bible says... Submit to your parents. Honor your parents. It, they know that they're supposed to do it. They know it. They're not confused about it. You as a parent, you know they're not confused about it. They know they're not confused about it. But what happens? They mentally assent to that fact but they don't do it. There's a difference between real faith and mental assent. That is what happens in Christians' lives every single day. It's real easy to see it in a teenager's life, but let's look in the mirror. Okay? Let's look at some things. All right? Let's look at what we have been reading and what God says about some things. Now, three quarters of you raised your hand. You've been reading the Bible, right? Okay. Get your Bible out and let's have an open book test in here this morning. Okay? You ready? All right. Let's turn back a little bit. Let's see where we'll start. We'll start back here at about... um, um, No, let's not start there. Let's go on and come back to that one. 
let's start in Numbers chapter 12. Now, let me ask you a question. Is it true that God picked certain people to do certain things? Was there confusion that he picked those people ever? No. Must have been. Let's look. Okay, Miriam and Aaron. You remember Miriam and Aaron? What happened to Miriam and Aaron? Let's start in verse 12. Verse 1. Chapter 12, verse 1, I mean. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against who? Because of his Cushite wife. Now, for some reason, I don't think that's what the problem was. They were just a looking because they wasn't happy because Moses had some authority. And they didn't get no authority. And so they were looking for something to complain about. Now, Look down at, let's see what verse this is. Verse 6. Now, they were whining and they were complaining. Now, what I don't get is, if God called Moses and Aaron. Now, Moses is not just a prophet. Correct? Look at what God tells them. Now, God himself talks to them, and this is what he responds. He says, listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions, and I speak to him in dreams. That's a normal prophet. But... This isn't true with Moses, my servant. I'm reading to you from the NIV. He's faithful in all my house. And I speak to him face to face. Clearly. And not in riddles. He sees the form of God. Now... Who is Miriam and Aaron to Moses? Are they not his brother and sister? Do you not think by now they see a call on Moses' life? Have they not been through some things by now? Can they not see a difference in him by now? Yet and still, they still feel okay to do this? 
Now, how did God take it? He, he says, okay, that's okay. He's just your bro. That's okay. He's just your bro. You can talk about him like that. That's just your bro. Is that what God said? Uh, he's just your friendly brother. You can cut him down. You can say what you want to about him. That's just your brother. I don't take it personally. That's just your brother. Listen to what he said. Why were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Let me ask you a question. How many of you have been serving God five years? Ten years? How many of you have family members that can see a difference in your life? How many of you have had family members that have cut you to the core? Can they not see a difference in your life? How do you think God takes that? Is it okay? You think it's okay for you to argue back with them? Not smart. God takes this stuff seriously. He didn't say, this is your brother, this is your sister. He said what? He said, against my servant. He didn't say... Why weren't you afraid to talk about your brother and your sister, like, you know, your brother that way? Nothing close to that. He said, I speak to him face to face. And you dared talk to him that way? This is what God thinks about it. Now, remember what... The title today is, in case you're wondering, Be Not Conformed to This World. I shortened it, don't conform, but conform not to this world. It's real easy to see things the way that the world sees them and not the way that God sees them. Okay, let's keep going. What happened to Miriam then? God said, oh, it's okay. It's just your brother. She became leprous. Didn't go well with her, right? Let's keep going. Okay, let's flip a few pages here. In my stuck-together Bible. Because of all my little notes and stuff. Okay, Turn over to uh, chapter 13 and verse 30. There's Caleb and Joshua. I like them. They said we can take the land. Verse 30. Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and possess the land, for we can certainly do it. Oh, I like that. I like it. We can certainly do it. 
But, there's that ugly word, but. The man who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread out among the Israelites a bad report. Uh Uh-oh. And they spread out among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. And they said, the land we explored devours those that are living in it and all the people. And we saw their great size and the Nephilim and they were descendants of Anak. And they came from the Nephilim and we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. Now let me ask you a question. Verse 30, Caleb says, we can certainly do it. Did God tell them to go into Canaan's land? Could they certainly do it if God said for them to do it? Should they have certainly done it? Okay, so everything that happens after verse 30, chapter 13 in Numbers... They should not have ever had to go through. The other day, and I don't like to embarrass people, but the other day, I think it'll help you, and you won't know, I was dealing with a situation, and the person came to me. And they said, I'm troubled in my soul, deeply troubled in my soul, and I need counseling. And I love this person dearly. And I said, no, sweetheart, you don't need counseling. You have no trouble in your soul except for the trouble of You can't serve the devil and things be right in your life. Let me explain. When God tells you, go into Canaan's land, all the things that they went through when they didn't obey God, All the misery, all the pain, all the suffering, all the dying, all the killing, all the war. They should never have had to go through. All the sickness, all the death, all the soul being upset. They should never have had to go through. They would have never been in that position to begin with. Had they... Of obeyed God. Take for instance Keith and I. What if back in 1980. The Lord said Keith and Phyllis Moore. I want you to go to Ramah. And we had said. Okay God. We'll do it. Sometime. And we 
and we didn't go in 1980. And our finances started getting bad. And maybe I got sick. And maybe he lost his job. And maybe our car broke down. And maybe we couldn't pay our bills. God, why are you doing this to us? We pay our tithes. We go to church every Sunday. I even work in children's church. I even teach in training union. Oh, that's good. Except for the fact that God said go to Ramah. Where does that fit in? How does it work? How does that how does the two work? Does God is God required to bless your plans? Is God fair and just? Is there a reason that some people are blessed more than other people? Does it look fair? Sometimes it don't. But sometimes you have to look 20 years back to find out why. It may seem to appear that these people are working everything under the sun. They're here at church every single service. They're working night and day. They're giving tithes. They're giving offerings. They're doing. They're doing. But God said go to the Philippines and serve and be a missionary 30 years ago. And they rebelled against that. Now, I don't know that. But God knows it. And it may look cruel and mean to someone in the church if they don't get promoted. Got quiet on that. But all I have is the Holy Ghost to tell me yay or nay. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. If you look down in um, chapter 14, Moses, Moses, bless his heart, he's dealing with these people night and day. But yet and still, he intercedes for them. I mean, he... But verse 18, 
who does your second word say? I mean, I'm in the NIV. I guess I should open my King James and make sure it's saying the same thing. The who? The who? Now, this is the the B-I-B-L-E, and it's my title and uh, my King James Version in Romans 12. It says, um, conform not to this world, the Lord. This is him, right? It says, um, the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love, and forgiving sin. Correct? We all got that, right? Everybody can quote that left and right, forward and backward, up and down and all around. And demands that we do it. They can sin and they are quick to come and look us square in the eye and demand you're supposed to forgive me. Oh, they're, they're big on that one. Don't get me wrong. They are big on that part. We, we get that one, okay? Keep on reading though. There is another part to that verse. Okay? Yet. Yet. What does yet mean? Something goes with it, right? Yet. He does not leave the guilty unpunished. People have a misconception of forgiveness and punishment. Just because you get forgiven does not mean you automatically get put into a place of leadership. Just because you go out and have an affair today doesn't mean that I have to say, okay, you get to get put back right where you were yesterday. Just because you steal from the offering doesn't mean I have to put you over accounting tomorrow. Duh. I am blonde, but it doesn't go all the way to the root. It used to. I mean, what do people think? I forgive you. I believe God forgives you. But there is a time of proving. That you get to prove yourself that you're not going to go steal my offering again tomorrow. It says, he punishes the children for the sins of their fathers to the third and fourth generation. Who does that? So that should at least mean I should be able to pull you out of counting the offering for a while. Right? People are confused about these things. So because they refused... And, and got ugly over here and said they couldn't go in and we were grasshoppers in their sight. They got to spend 40 years in the wilderness. 
Whose choice was that? Theirs. They messed up. People make choices in their life by doing what they choose to do. And then they like to blame it on other people. Let's keep going. I love the Old Testament. Yeah, it's something I can love. I love it. Okay? Let's keep going. You see why I kind of rebelled against this? I rebelled against teaching on rebellion. Here we go. Rebellion is the next part. I rebel. I did. I, I honestly, you know, I rebelled against giving away that top, you know. But I, I changed on that really quickly, okay? Everybody has to deal with it, okay? And if you don't admit that you have it, then you're yielding to it. You could say you don't have any rebellion, then I'm going to look you square in the eye and say, that's because you're yielding to it. Okay? At least I admit to it. I get up here on worldwide television and tell everybody, yes, I didn't want to give the top away. Yes, I didn't want to teach on rebellion this morning. I'd rather teach on love or, or happy something. Anything but this. Okay? Let's look at chapter 16. Oh, these guys. Oh, everybody looks at it and goes, oh. Y'all been reading this? Oh. Oh. Who is Korah and Dathan and Abiram? Mine says, um, how many of you have an NIV and it separates it? It says, Korah and Dathan and Abiram lead a rebellion. It says, there came in verse 3, they came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron. And they said to them, y'all gone too far now, buddies. This is the Phyllis interpretation. It says, um, you gone too far now. This whole community's holy. Why do you think you can set yourself up over this whole assembly? Answer the question. Why could they set themselves up over that whole community? Who appeared to Moses in a burning bush? So why did he have the authority to do this? Duh. Get a clue? Who got you out of that place that you were making brick out of nothing? That you were begging to get out of? Who got you out of there? Okay. Then Moses responds to him, no, it's you Levites, you've gone too far. Down in verse 6 or 7, that's what Moses responds to him. He says, yep, you Levites, you've gone too far yourself. Now, this is where you can tell people have a problem. When I read this, I thought, yep, they really, you, you almost can sense in people where they are when this is how they respond. It's almost like, 
they've gone off the deep end now. NIV, if you can, put it on the screen. Verse 12, it says, Then Moses summoned Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab. But they said, We will not come. Now, what is that? When your leaders ask you to come and you tell them, Nope, we ain't coming. What is that? Do you know we've had, oh, I could count it on my hands, situations in the church. We've called for people to come and they say, we will not come. We will not come. I think that's rebellion. What do you think? I think it's rebellion. They go on. He talks to them some more. Gives them another opportunity. Down in verse, uh, let's see, 14. They say it again. What you going to do? Gouge out our eyes? We will not come. It's almost too late for him at that point, isn't it? Almost too late. See why I said I didn't want to teach on this stuff? Yeah. Then Moses responds to him in verse 15. It says, what have I done to you? Have I not taken so much as, like, have I ever taken anything from you? Have I ever wronged you? Have I ever done anything to you? I've only done good to you. And this is how you're going to respond to me. What have I taken from you? And here you are. Okay. Now here comes the fun part. They will not come. Let's see what God thinks about. They will not come. Now I'm a compassionate person. With these people, I've loved them. And I've called them. And I've rearranged my schedule dozens of times and made it work and loved on them. God didn't rearrange his schedule. This is what God did. Verse 23, the Lord said to Moses, say to your assembly, verse 23, Move away from the tents of Korah and Dathan and Abiram. What's fixing to happen? Moses got up and went to Dathan and Abiram and to the elders of Israel and and they followed him and he warned the assembly, move back from the tents of these wicked men. Do not touch anything that belongs to them or you'll be swept away because of their sins. Verse 31 As soon as he finished saying all this, the ground underneath them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their household and all Korah's men and all their possessions went down alive into the grave and everything they owned and the earth 
closed over them. What does God think about rebellion? Now, why does God hate rebellion? There's a bigger reason. Yesterday, when I finally, finally gave in to this, I started looking at some more of it. And I started looking at the beginning source of rebellion. Who was the very first person or thing to rebel? He was beautiful. And he was going to exalt his throne above God's throne. And he rebelled against God. The devil himself was the first to rebel. But that is, if it had just been the devil himself, and the devil himself was cast into the pit, and that would have been the end of it, that would have been one thing. But what happened when the devil rebelled? He took a third of the angels with him. He influenced a third of the angels with his rebellion. Now that's God's angels and that's God. And God himself is there. And yet and still the devil was able to to influence one-third of the angels with rebellion. So it must be some nasty stuff. And that's why God hates it so bad. Because it still works in people today. And that's why when he sees it, he destroys it instantly. That's why when he saw it in them, he didn't want to put up with it. He opened up the earth, swallowed them. Because he'd put up with it from the devil and he saw what it did. One third of the angels were destroyed. He's got a new people on the earth starting and here starts this rebellion stuff again. So he opens up the earth and swallows them. God doesn't like rebellion. Now, if we love God, what should we love? The things of God. Now, I would tell Keith, I would say, I love you, darling, when we were first married. I love you. I respect you. I love you. You know where I'm going? Sounds good, don't it? But what about you? You have people that call themselves your friend, 
and they want to be your friend. But they continue to do the things you don't like. They want to be your best bud. But they continue to do the things you hate. They know you hate lying. But they continue to do it. I know when Keith and I were first married, bless his heart, he ain't going to watch this. (laughs) Devin, don't let him get it. No, he can have whatever he wants. He's probably watching it right now. Hi, sweetheart. Um, When we were first married, I was a sweetheart. No, I was stinking full of rebellion. I mean, I wanted his love, but I was unwilling to do what it took to get it. Do you understand what I mean by that? I wanted his love on my conditions. I wanted his love, but I didn't want to change anything about me to get it. I refused to lose the weight. I refused to quit lying. I refused to quit being loud. I refused to quit being bossy. I refused to quit taking control of everything. I refused to quit whatever. I'm going to call on y'all. Y'all going to have to come spill your guts. <laughs> I wanted his love on my terms. And that's the way people are today. They're a lot like me. There's employees. How many times are you supposed to tell an employee, I don't like that? What if you do it 500 times and they still don't change? But they expect you to love them. What about a husband? What about a wife? What about a child? What about a brother? What about a sister? What about an employee? What about, you understand the situation I'm getting at? What about, uh uh-oh, hold your hands up, myself? It's real easy to look at everybody else. It's real easy to find the faults in other people and not look at them in ourselves. We all, and you notice I use the word we, because I tell you about mine, have rebellion in us. Now, if you refuse to look at it, it will cap your usefulness to God. Because there will be tests that come along 
as you mature and grow for God. And it will seem like all your guts and all your pride is being poured out on the table for the world to see. And you'll have a choice at that point in time to either humble yourself and admit it and say, God, I blew it. I messed up. Or rebel and harden yourself and do like a rebellious teenager and run. That is what 99% of people do. In the body of Christ, most people will not receive correction. They don't feel like anyone should correct them. Now, God's been correcting me all week, and yesterday was bad because I was just going to refuse to do this this morning. This ain't fun. But you know what? If you want to grow up, I'd rather eat ice cream. And, no, I don't like ice cream. I'll be honest with you. I, you know, I like mashed potatoes and round steak. <laughs> I'd rather eat that. But, but you can't eat everything that you like every day, you know? You've got to go back and be honest with yourself and look at when God told me to do this, did I do it? Be mature enough to realize I may be 60 years old. I may be 70 years old. But I'm rebellious as the day is long. And I may have always done it this way, but that don't make it right. And the only reason that I know anything about rebellion is because I, like I told you, lived with Mr. Submission and Authority. And he was Mr. Unyielding to it. That's the only reason. And I am so that I wasn't thankful then, don't get me wrong. It was not pretty. It was not pretty. I've told it before. It's like you can put two cats together and tie their tails and hang them across the clothesline and they will be together, but they will not be in unity. <laughs> and that's what we had. It was, you know, because... Thank God my husband is not the type to give in to rebellion or strife. He's not, he don't do it today. He senses it coming. He's like, that's all I need. It's like, there's no confusion around here. Dave, is there confusion who runs stuff around here? Any sense of confusion about who runs stuff around here? You know, Cheryl, is there confusion about who runs stuff around here? Stop. Confusion. None whatsoever. You may think I run stuff around here. There's not a bit of confusion about who runs stuff around here. None. I, I know my place. Rebellion 
the thing is that most people don't understand. Let's look at a couple of other things, and then I'll explain this other part to you about it. Um, look at this part right here. People think that leaders are not accountable. Look at this with me. Look at um, um, Numbers 20, verse 2. Well, I'll just, I'll tell you the story. We won't even try to read it. Well, verse 9. I won't try to read it all. You know the story. Moses, the Lord tells Moses to speak to the rock. And what does he do? Verse 9. So Moses took his staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded. And he and Aaron gathered the assembly from in front of the rock. And Moses says to them, listen, you rebels. Must who? Like he can do anything. We bring you water out of this rock. Then Moses raised his arm and struck, smote the rock twice with his staff. And the water gushed out. And the community and their livestock drank. Now what happened to Moses? He did not get to go into the promised land. You read the rest of the chapter. And what happened to Aaron? He died. Are, mo- are leaders held accountable when they mess up? Does God play favorites? So you needn't be concerned if your leaders mess up that God is going to play a favorite with them. But now the thing, I was talking to some people the other day, and we had just read this that day. You may have caught it before. Because I always... When I'm getting up to speak, I think funny things. You may not think funny things, but I think funny things. And I'm always like, Lord, I really want these people helped. Surely there's something that we can really do to help the people, more than what I can help the people, you know. And it's like, okay, Lord, we read that day, and Moses struck the rock, right? Why did the water gush out anyway? You got it? He disobeyed God. Why did the water come out anyway? Because God loved the people. And they needed the water. The ends do not justify the means. It doesn't make it okay that you robbed those people to get that money to do that. And you said it was your faith that got it. God did it because the people in the livestock needed the water anyway. Because God said, speak to the rock, and he struck it, and the water still came out. I just noticed that. I thought y'all might want to notice it. And, and, you know, and let me show you one other thing, and then we'll get to another point of this. We were talking about the families, and I thought you might be interested in this. Back in Exodus 31... You, you don't even have to turn there. Think about this just a minute. Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments. Remember that? And Aaron, his brother, remember that? His loving brother that's serving with him. 
you know? This is just amazing to me about people. They think that just because they can't hear from God, they think you can't hear from God. You remember Elisha and Gehazi? When Naaman came to Elisha and he told him to go uh, for his leprosy and he told him to go dip in the river and um, the river Jordan and uh, he said, go dip seven times. And so Naaman was going to pay him for his healing. You know, you can't pay for a healing. It's already bought and paid for. So Elisha was smart enough to know that. So he said, no, I can't take your money for that healing. But Gehazi decided, I want some of that money. So after he left, Gehazi runs after the chariot and he decides he wants some of that money. Look at 2 Kings sometime. Read it. Read when you get to it in your Old Testament. Um, He runs after the chariot and decides, I want a little silver and I want a few changes of clothes. What did Elisha know? He knew the whole thing. And he said, I saw all that. I knew all that when you did that. Just because some people are carnal, they think you're carnal with them? Ain't that way. Ain't that way. I suppose that Aaron thought that Moses was going to buy all this. Look there with me. <coughs> Let's see. Um, verse Chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses was so long from coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. And Aaron just answers them. And he says, Okay, take off your gold earrings that your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing. And bring them to me. And so the people took off their earrings and they brought them to Aaron. Verse 5, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow we're going to be having a good festival. Aaron? What's going on, Aaron? Don't you know? You're going to have to face Moses? What are you doing behind his back, Aaron? Aren't you supposed to love him? He's just gone for a few days here. You trying to take away his authority? You trying to take his place? What you doing, Aaron? Why was he doing that? You think Moses wasn't going to know it? Look at... Look at verse 21, or 19. And when Moses approached the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing, and the anger burned, and he threw his tables out of his hands, breaking them into pieces at the front of the mountain. And he took the calf, and he threw it in the fire. Let's see. And he said to Aaron, What did these people do to you? Surely they brainwashed you or something, Aaron. Yeah, they tortured you or did something to make you do this. Tied you up and made you 
drink some poison or something to make you do this, Aaron. That you led them in such a great a sin. What does he reply? Oh, don't be so angry with me, my Lord. I love you, sweetheart. You get the picture? You know how these people, he didn't have nothing to do with it. Or prone to do evil. And they said to me, make us gods. It's always somebody else's fault. What happened to those people? They got plagues. Why is it always somebody else's fault? Never your fault. PR. PR. Turn with me to Obadiah 3 if you can find it. If not, let's just put it on the board and they won't even have to take the time to find it. Obadiah 3 in the King James. It's real short. I only want you to get the first part of it anyway. Obadiah 3. I think everybody knows it, but I want you to get it. Read that first part with me. The pride of thine heart has deceived thee. Stop. You know, when I was talking to you about the first part of our marriage... And I was so rebellious and trying to convince Keith that I loved him and I wanted him to love me as I was. Now, God loves us, and people are confused he loved, that he loves all of our ways. He loves us in spite of our ways a lot of times. Keith would try to explain to me why what I was thinking and what I was doing was not right. But because I was so wrapped up in what I thought, I could not even see the truth. I was so convinced that I was right I was not open to seeing the truth. I was so convinced he was wrong. I was deceived. And the more I was convinced he was wrong, the more deceived I was. Take, for instance, the weight. I weighed close to 200 pounds. And I was convinced I couldn't get it off. I was convinced I had tried everything. He would give me ideas of how to get it off. And instead of listening to him, I would argue. And I would say things like, you don't know. You've never been overweight. Laugh if you want to. You might as well as it's funny. Or, if you loved me, you'd love me the way I am. Or, I've done everything and it just don't work. I don't need anything. Or, you go by yourself. 
I'm too ugly to go. All the while he's telling me I'm not ugly. Deceived. When he's telling me, Phil, it comes off one pound at a time. Quit looking at it like a mountain. And my mind's like, it is a mountain. Just leave me alone. It'll never come off. How can he help me that way? Nobody can help you that way. You are convinced of something. Your pride that you know it all has deceived you. No one can help you no way. No matter how many answers they have, they cannot help you. You're an alcoholic. You've tried everything under the sun. You want to quit drinking. You've tried everything. But you won't tell anybody because you're convinced nobody can help you. Your pride has deceived you. There are people that can help. Other people have quit. Other people had lost weight. Right? I've lost weight. The pride of your heart will deceive you. It will totally blind you to the answer. People have left this church when if they actually knew the truth about what we were thinking, they, that we were actually thinking about promoting them, they would have stayed. But they were convinced that we didn't like them. But they had to pass the test. Nobody gets promoted without passing test. I didn't. The Israelites didn't. Jacob and Caleb didn't. Jesus didn't. The Bible says prove them. See if they're faithful. That they're not a novice. Your pride will deceive you. And it will keep you in a place that even God himself cannot help you. You can't get past it. Whether it's your finances, your healing, your deliverance, alcohol, drugs, smoking, sex, pornography, um, oh, accounting. Oh, dear Lord, help me forever that I never have to go through that again with Keith in our ministry. When we first started the ministry, it was like a thorn in my side because I was convinced that I could not do what he was asking for in our accounting department. And my pride deceived me because I knew he knew nothing about accounting and I knew I knew everything. 
enough. Go ahead. Hey, I spill my guts to you. But if it'll help you to see something of what I'm talking about and change something in your life, he'd ask me for something, and I would not even try to see if it would work. I was convinced it couldn't. And then when I'd actually try, it was so simple. But my pride of trying to be superior in that area that I thought for sure he knew nothing about accounting. I'd only been doing it for years in another business that he knew nothing about it. I knew nothing about the Holy Ghost at that time. And I didn't know that the Holy Ghost could tell you everything. And he'd only been training in the Holy Ghost for 10 years. People get deceived by their pride. And they don't let people with the Holy Ghost that have been around the Holy Ghost longer help them. God is the helper. And there are people that know God. And there are people that have the Holy Ghost and have been around the Holy Ghost. And that's what gets amazing to me sometimes. There are people that come in here and they tell us, oh, we love you. We have been so helped by the teaching. We've been so blessed. It's just changed our lives. It's just been such a blessing to us. And they've been faithful helpers till they're asked to submit. And the first time they're asked to submit, they run. Like a rebellious teenager. Now, what will happen like the children of Israel? We've seen it. We know people that have run. Two years later, they're dead. Do we know people like that? Several. Not because they've run from here, guys. We're, it makes us no difference. It's running from what God called them to do. Faith Life Church is not the wherewithal. We, we have no aspiration to that. We tell you all the time, there's churches everywhere. We're building the church. There's churches on the Internet right now, people listening on the Internet. It's the same with you. You've run from your churches. You've run from where you're supposed to be. Your pastor's tried to tell you to do this, but you got your feelings hurt. You need to see how quickly you can run back to where you're supposed to be. It's not us that told the things about rebellion and submission. God, keep reading your Old Testament. See how he feels. Don't conform to your TV screens that say it's okay for an employee to yell back to an employer. That's what the TV screen says. What does the Bible say that an employee is supposed to do to an employer?
We have trained our minds and our bodies to conform to this world. And we've forgotten how God feels about these things. As you're reading these things in the Old Testament, don't just let them slip past you. Let them register on your heart about who is talking. God is saying these things about rebellion. Check your heart. These are not, we're not just reading these things to say the children of Israel were rebellious. What are these? They're examples for us so that we don't fall into the same traps that they fell into and get our lives messed up. So when I look at this, I say, okay, God, you told them they could have Canaan's land. Yes, it was going to be tough for them to take. Yes, it was going to be hard. What I think of is I think, okay, Keith and Phyllis Moore moved to Branson. But God, we don't have any church. We don't have any church people. Get that building. There's 12 churches there circling around that church saying that's their building. We didn't know that till after we'd already got the building. Thank God we didn't know it. There had been churches. We never told this before. There had been churches doing Jericho marches around this building. We didn't know that. We came in here from nowhere, closed on it in three days. We didn't know any of that stuff. There had been people that had done all sorts of stuff about this building. We didn't have a clue about any of that stuff. We found out about every bit of it after that. There was people the day we were closing on the building said, we'll almost double your money if you'll make that deal go away. Under the table. But God... But God. But would it have been easy to sit there in, in Tulsa and say, God, there's giants over there. And we don't have any money. And God, how are we going to do this? We got a good road ministry. And we're making good money. And our staff is all here. And they all got houses. And we don't even know if any of them's going to move with us. What if we tell them and they all say, we ain't moving to Branson. We had no clue of what was going to happen. We didn't even consider any of that. God said, move to Branson. So here we are. And then the blessings come. Now, we could have stayed in Tulsa. And we could have tripled our road ministry. We could have been gone every single day, every single night. We could have hit every church that there was and been in a different city every single night. We could have took every bit of the money that we had and pumped it into the mission field. We could have took every dime that we had and tithed and give to this one and give to this one and give to this one. 
and still been broke and still been sick. And people would have wondered, Keith and Phyllis are serving God with every muscle that they have and every fiber of their being. And they're sick and broke. The word don't work. And nobody ever known that God spoke to Keith and Phyllis more because we'd have never told anybody that God spoke to us and said, move to Branson. Because we'd have been too ashamed and too embarrassed to say God told us to do something that we didn't do. But we'd have gone overboard and almost killed ourselves trying to do the other because we'd have felt guilty because we didn't obey God over here. So don't tell me that there is no reason when you see people's lives that the word is not working in. The word works. Every time, always, it never fails. God is faithful. He is always faithful. He never lied. He'll never lie. He does what he says he's going to do. You give, it shall be given unto you. You obey him and he will be faithful to you. But it pays to obey. And a lot depends on how much light you have. It'd be a big difference. If you're a baby Christian, you've only been saved for a year, God tells you to do something, you miss it, he'll have mercy on you. But when you've been saved as long as Keith and Phyllis Moore have, and you've been serving God as long as we have, and he says move to Branson, that's rebellion. And there's a big difference between rebellion and ignorance. And some of you need to go back and you need to check. And if things are not happening in your lives the way that you think they should be happening and finances are not coming to you the way that you think they should be coming to you and things are not happening in the way that they should be happening for you. You need to check and see why. Has God told me to do something that I've been rebellious about? Has he told me to do this and I didn't do it? I'm not saying you're supposed to do some big ministry, something that you're oblivious to. You're not confused about it. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You may need to do some repenting to get clear about it again because I'll be honest with you. Some of the things that Keith was trying to tell me, I, honest to goodness, was deceived about. I did not see them. I had let it go so long. Let me read something to you in closing, and I think it will really, really help you. I... Like I said, I spent some time yesterday studying some things out, and this really, really, really helped me, and I think it'll help you. How people get so confused and messed up is not a mystery. People act like things just happen. They get confused. I'm possessed. I don't know how it happened. I slept with somebody. I don't know how it happened. I'm a drunk. 
I don't know how it happened. I'm addicted to drugs. Just happened. Let me read to you from one of Brother Hagen's books. It says, In a vision that night I saw a woman I had met one time. I immediately recognized her because I had heard her sing at a convention. She was the wife of a minister I knew. I saw her like you would see a picture on a television. Jesus narrated the story that followed. He said the woman was his servant. She'd had a part in ministry, but the devil had come. I saw an evil spirit. It seemed to sit on her right shoulder and whisper in her ear. She was a Christian, and the devil wasn't on the inside of her. It was on the outside. But he'll work from the outside to try to get to the inside. Jesus narrated this story. He said, this demon told the woman she was beautiful, but that she had been cheated in life. He told her she could have fame and fortune and popularity in the world. Jesus said the woman knew this was from the devil and told Satan to get behind her. He said the spirit left her for a season. I saw it run off and leave her. But after a time, it came back again and whispered in her ear that she was a beautiful woman. The devil told her again, in the world, she could have had fame and popularity and wealth. Jesus said she began to entertain Satan's suggestions. We can learn something very important here, he says. The only way the devil can get into you is through your mind. Your mind is the door to your spirit. One of Satan's greatest weapons is suggestion. Didn't the devil suggest to Eve that the reason God didn't want her to eat the forbidden fruit was because her eyes would be opened and she would become like God? She followed his suggestion. Jesus told me this woman began to entertain the suggestion that she was beautiful. She liked to think she was beautiful. The Bible tells us in Ezekiel concerning the fall of Satan that he was lifted up in pride. Why? Because of his beauty. She felt like that she had been cheated in life. She felt that she had been robbed. She felt like the world, in the world, she could have had fame and fortune. As I said, she was very outstanding. I had heard her sing in the church and at conventions. She had whatever the world calls it. If she came in late for a service, the men and women alike couldn't stop from just looking at her. She just had that something about her. In the vision, she suddenly became like glass, transparent. And I could see something in her head that looked like a black dot. It was about as big as a half a dollar. Jesus narrating said, she is now obsessed with that kind of thinking. But he said, it's not too late. She could still do something about it. We're supposed to think God's thoughts. That woman was still God's child. She could have put that thought out of her mind if she wanted to. She could have refused to think like that. But she desired to think like that. She continued to think like that. Somebody said, you can't help who may knock at your front door, but you can help who you invite inside and into the living room and entertain. Thoughts may come and go, but thoughts 
or put into actions or word thoughts that are not put into actions or words will die unborn you may say i can't control my thoughts yes you can unless the devil has taken you over Jesus told me that this woman could have said from her spirit, I'm not going to think like that. I resist you, Satan. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Leave me. You see, if the devil is going to get in your spirit, he's going to have to come through your mind. I'm referring to believers. You can cast out devils out of people. Um, let's, we'll skip all that. That doesn't mean anything. What I'm trying to get to is you don't have to think on those thoughts. The Bible tells us to cast down imaginations and reasonings. It tells us to cast down those things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God and to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. He didn't tell us to do something we can't do. Thank God he told us to do something we can do. And the woman soon left her husband and left the ministry. She went out, out into the world, and he told her never to pray for that woman again. Now, what happened? How did that start? She started thinking entertaining thoughts she should not be thinking about how does addiction to pornography come entertaining thoughts you shouldn't be thinking about how does having affairs come entertaining thoughts about a woman you shouldn't be thinking about how does doing drugs come entertaining thoughts you shouldn't be thinking about How does drinking come? Entertaining thoughts you shouldn't be thinking about. It all comes the same way. How does rebellion come? Entertaining thoughts you shouldn't be thinking about. Let me explain. You think someone mistreated you. What good is that going to do you? What does love do? If somebody hits you on one cheek, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to be Christ-like. Did anybody ever mistreat Jesus? What did he do? You ever see Jesus going around gossiping about anybody? Did you hear them talking about me? I heard in the synagogue they were talking about me. The nerve of them. Just wait till I get around them. I'm going to let them have it. Never happened. That's how things start. Entertaining that somebody mistreated you. And it only blows it up bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Entertaining those thoughts will blow it out of proportion. If you cast it down and you think, like Keith says, if they slap you on one cheek, just say, ah, oh, they just tripped and their hand fell across my face. They didn't really mean to slap me. If you entertain those thoughts, they will only get bigger. And that's how rebellion starts.
What should Aaron have done? Aaron should have said, you crazy people. I'm not building no gold calf. We've got a God. Not entertain those thoughts. Cast them down immediately. What should those the children of Israel have done? Joshua and Caleb said, we can get in. We can get in. They said, but we're like grass. Cast those thoughts down. We're going in. They wouldn't have had to deal with all that stuff. So when thoughts come against it, the pride thoughts, all the other thoughts, cast them down. Think what God thinks about it. You'll come out right on the other side. Let's stand up and thank God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity this morning to come into your word. We just ask you to show us if there's any place in our lives that we have yielded to rebellion, that we've been blinded, Father. I just ask you now for myself and for these people in here that if I have yielded to any of this, to the blindness from pride, or to the rebellion, to enlighten the eyes of our understanding, Father, that we can see the truth in these things, that we will be more useful to you, and that our service will not be capped in any way. Father, show us these things so that we'll be the most useful to you and for your kingdom, Father. And I'm sorry I rebelled about doing this this morning, Father. I thank you for the opportunity to be able to do whatever you ask me to do. Thank you for your goodness to us, and thank you for your love for each and every person in this room. In Jesus' name, amen.